Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott, my partner's Jim DeRogatis. If you'd like to be one of the first to listen to these bonus episodes, you can support us on Patreon like Alan Huff. Thanks, Alan. Next, Jim, we have a special guest, uh, someone we have known for quite a long time as a journalist and as a great commentator on uh, all things rock and music in general. I wasn't around for this interview, but you had the chance to sit down with this very special guest. Yeah, we can now add television director Jessica Hopper. You'll get to hear Jim's interview with Jessica in a minute on Sound Opinions. We're back. Jim, you got to talk to Jessica about her documentary series, Women Who Rock. I did. We talked about the process, and I even got two Women Who Rock Desert Island jukebox picks from Jessica, making her go back to being a a lowly critic after having been a television (laughs) director. Here's Jessica. Well, let's welcome back to Sound Opinions a friend of the show, storied music critic is how epics put it. Jessica, I like that. (laughs) You are a storied music critic and now a director. How does one become a director, Jessica? Well, I have been working for the last few years uh, occasionally as a producer of various, you know, music documentary things, be it podcasts or some short form doc stuff. And then last year I got a call from the folks behind Women Who Rock. I thought it was just to talk about helping them shape the direction of it. And then about two days later, I got a call back and they say, well, uh, we've discussed it and we'd like you to direct it. And I was like, okay, the longest thing I've directed is about six minutes long. (laughs) We're talking about four hours of network cable. Um, Okay. If you think I got it, then one of the more surprising things is how much directing a docuseries is like putting together a magazine which is something that I have a lot of experience doing. So very fortunately, it it wasn't without its challenges. You know, filming anything amidst COVID certainly has its challenges. But it was very natural for me. And um, I'm really grateful to to be toddling back into that path again. Um, I really loved it. And I really loved getting to just talk to all these incredible, iconic women. So that's how it came to be. It is quite an accomplishment. Uh, Women Who Rock, four hours on epics. We're talking just after the last episode. But, you know, what is time anymore post-COVID? In the uh, streaming era, people can still uh, see it. You know, we thought, given the breadth of fascinating artists that you talk to, you know, Shaka Khan and Mavis Staples to St. Vincent and and Taylor Swift and Yola and Billie Eilish and on and on and on. We would let you play critic again, (laughs) having been director, and give us two Desert Island picks and tell the stories. One we asked for, because I loved seeing Kira Rosler featured. You know, people forget the influence she was on hardcore punk as a member of Black Flag. And I loved Dose as well, you know, uh, a great band. What drew you to her? Dina Weymouth, you know, would be obvious. Doe, of course, but Kira would not have been. Well, you know, I'm someone who, you know, being in my early 40s, I grew up in Minneapolis, kind of same time as you, and there really was you know, this kind of lore back then about Black Flag and some of the only punk books you could get were these these Rollins books. And so, you know, that was kind of, you know, the definitive punk histories oftentimes were really centered on 
Black Flag and Rollins, I mean, as they as they rightfully should be, but there was so little information about Kira. She was kind of incidental, even though she was, you know, really part of a really important era of Black Flag, a really powerful, yeah. influential time of change in Black Flag. And I just wanted more. And also, you know, women who rock, we don't have any cisgender men. We just have women artists and women historians and uh, trans women in the whole lineup. And so, you know, we weren't going to have Rollins in there talking about Black Flag. And so it was the opportunity for Kira. And, you know, for me, Kira was really an idol in many ways, because the way that people talked about her was with like such a different kind of reverence and I don't know if it's because she was in Black Flag or because she was just such a you know technical player people understood what it meant to be in Black Flag and as, as she talks about in the show as I interviewed her you know that she would play for two two and a half hours and then run backstage and jam her hands into the the ice bucket because she said if she didn't she wouldn't be able to play the next day and she said that was part of being in black yeah. flag was that it was going to take everything out of you and that was kind of the challenge and the true excitement of it and this is a point that i remember joy press had made in her original book and she wrote about gender in rock and she wrote a great piece about this series the instrumentalists whether you're going all the way back to maureen tucker or Kim Gordon in Sonic Youth, or Brenda Souter in The Feelies. You know, they're so crucial to those bands, and yet they often get overlooked that they're women in a band. I think she plays very much like a similar role in music culture as Tina Weymouth, who is also in our, our series and, you know, really held up by yeah. the likes of Kate Pearson and Nona Hendrix from LaBelle, you know, saw her play and, and, and Natalie Merchant said, you know, she was really kind of the first woman in a band with men where people really took it seriously as an as an instrumentalist and an artist. And and now, you know, I think it's really hard for us to imagine that at the time of, you know, the mid to late 70s, when we look back at canonical music criticism, you know, as historians and fans, to see that really this was kind of the first time period where a lot of music criticism and music press started to just understand that women were artists and they could be artists you know and even our you know beloved Joni people really would hold her up to Patty and say Patty's a rock and roll artist because she seems like she has a libido and you know Joni Mitchell just seems too pure she's never gonna rock and roll and you know that there was these kind of really messed up and patriarchal ideas of what it took to be in a band and so you know these early women um, particularly in all-male bands, they were really at the vanguard. They were really at the frontier. And the first time that I even figured out who Kira was, was from the live version of Who's Got the Ten and a Half. Is that the track you're going to go with? Yes, because that's, <laughs> yes. that's where I was like, who's Kira? No mm -hmm. one had ever mentioned her to me. You know, and it, it was like, wait, this is kind of like an amazing effed up joke to throw her into this song. Over there on bass is Kira. And Kira's got the, uh... Well... One and a half. Two and a half. Three and a half. Uh... Well... I hate to break the news to you. Kira's got the ten and a half. Kira's got the ten and a half. Kira's got the 
that was one of my introductions to Black Flag and something that always really stuck in my head. The things you learn from songs, that there's a girl in the band. <laughs> and that's a great track, and it was great to see her. All right, so completely free reign. It seems reductive to boil down four hours of so many fascinating and wonderful women. But, you know, uh, we're talking about songs, and we're going to play them. So if you had another Desert Island pick that highlights uh, uh, something in the show, there, there's so many great moments. Starts and ends with Mavis. I, I love that. Uh, but who else would you go with? I think I'm going to have to go with Are You Lonely by LaBelle. Where were you when you first heard that song? I first heard and heard about LaBelle when I was researching my first book, which is kind of a guide for, for young women in music. And I was just going down the whole timeline of all women bands. And I was like, LaBelle, I've heard that. I've seen this picture. Who are they? And I put it on and I was like, how did I not? <laughs> like, like I was, Jim, I was mad. I was mad at people not telling me about them. I was mad at the music patriarchy for like, you know, erasing them. And then I see these pictures and they got these plumed headdresses and like they're playing with the meters. And I was like, this is just sick. How did I not know about this? But I think Are You Lonely is one of the places that they really seamlessly blend all of their beautiful, radical, spiritual ideas about identity and a future and togetherness with just funk rock that doesn't quit. They kick butt. <laughs> no two ways about it. <laughs> no. They're true they're they're like the original like divas in rock. Another artist, Patti LaBelle, who I think often is overlooked in terms of being as influential as, as she was. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, one of the really important folks for me to, to make sure to get in the show, you know, because when I came on board to this show, they're like, well, we already have Sh uh, Shaka and Shania and Cheryl and Pat Benatar. And I was like, okay, like, then I need to make sure that we get some of the women that were really in the pioneering spaces so that we can kind of cover this full spectrum. And I insisted on Nona Hendricks. And Nona mm -hmm. Hendricks, you know, if, if your listeners don't know, just she started out with uh, Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells and, you know, doing the Chitlin Circuit uh, back in the day. And they wore opera gloves and had the tiaras and the coiffed hair. And as Nona says, you know, a perfect picture of womanhood. Patti LaBelle, Nona, Sarah Dash, they started as Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells. And then as the times kind of start to change, you know, they're really feeling called to change too by both, you know, the Black Power movement, by the Black Panthers, by the fight for the ERA and the women's liberation movement that was really gaining a lot of steam then. And, you know, in the show Nona talks about, she says, we knew that times needed to change because everything was changing around us and we needed we needed songs that reflected the change and they go from being you know this quaffed girl group into being labelle and writing their own songs and you know producing their own records and writing songs that really reflected you know the heart of black womanhood at that time yeah 
Yeah, I think people forget how empowering uh, they were and how empowered they were. And just that they were they were pretty far out there, but a lot of their songs were kind of occupying some of that same space as the staple singers, but they were more rock. They were glam. They had the same person make their costumes who later went on to make kisses kind of like <laughs> yeah. the leather trapunto, but, but all silver. And it was really steeped in Afrofuturism. Yeah, superheroines they were. Yes, absolutely. And really about saying, you know, there's going to be black people in the future. There's black women in yeah. the future. And and it was really radical. And I think, you know, for people that love, uh, like a lot of contemporary music that really puts out that kind of uh, a message. And this is a great origination point, you know, for people who love artists like Janelle Monae. Is Epics thinking about letting you do uh, more? I mean, obviously there could be a uh, hundred episodes of Women in Rock. Tell me about it. When we were making it, I was like, how can we have another eight episodes? We only have eight minutes with Cheryl Crow in this episode. People keep saying, well, when is, when's a season two? And it's like, well, this isn't a seasonal show. It's a docu, docu-series. But, you know, very fortunately, I'm helming some other projects, both as a director and as, as a producer, and they're all steeped in feminist music history. So watch this space, as they say. Of course, we would expect nothing less. And in between, you're still uh, editing for University of Texas, right? Yeah, I edit the American Music Series, and we have we actually have a great Chicago book coming down the pike about cranky records. And then we also have a really incredible memoir this fall from Miss Margot Price. It's a true country I think Sound Opinions has already heard about both of those books and certainly excited. I love the fact that no matter how much I wrote about Cranky Records, they would never send me a promo. And I would run into those guys and I'd say, I don't mind buying your records. I really don't. They are true psychedelic experiences, so many of them. They were fantastic. Well, Jessica, it's always fun to talk to you, and congrats on this great accomplishment. Bringing Sister Rosetta Tharp up to date with Kira Rosler. <laughs> I, I love it. I just love the breadth of what you did in this. Because I, I will admit, initially I thought, women in rock? Okay, this has been done. Oh, but Jessica's doing it. It's been done, and it shouldn't ever have to be done. Of course there are freaking women in rock. Yeah. There always have been. Yes. You know. We get to go back to the the very beginning with these blues women. And, and you know, that was, uh, you know, bringing Sister Rosetta and bringing all those early blues women, Ida Cox and all those folks into the conversation because, you know, that black women have just so often been erased at the roots yeah. of rock. And so we start which there. Is why it's, which is why it's still necessary to keep shining these lights on. And, of course, the best way always is to celebrate with the music. So thanks for playing uh, Desert Island with us. And uh, keep us posted always, Jessica, on what you're up to. Thank you, Jim. It's always a pleasure to be on Sound Opinions. That's it for this bonus episode. Thank you to Jessica for taking the time to chat with us. You can watch all four episodes of her docuseries, Women Who Rock, on Epics or other streaming services. Let us know what you think of the series in our Facebook group or leave a message on our website. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.